This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. If you're like me, then you find that when you're texting or sending emails, there are certain things that you end up typing repetitively, like email addresses, phone numbers, common message replies, and you just wish that there was a way to send it faster. That's where Text Expander comes in. It works everywhere you type, like word processors, emails, messaging apps, and online forums. You can even use it as Teams if you have snippets that you want to manage for your company. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. This is the One Thing Podcast where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. For a lot of us, this year was going to be our big year. New year, new decade, new you. There was a different kind of sparkle in the air when we thought about the future and what was possible. You know, for me personally, I, I, this was the year, I had come into the year with lots of momentum around my health. And I was saying, you know, this is the year that not only am I gonna continue to exercise regularly, but I was really gonna turn around my diet. This was the year we, that we were gonna go plant-based and I was gonna give up sugar and get, get the six-pack abs that my wife has has longed for, but have been elusive in our relationship. But then COVID hit. And all the habits that I formed around my health were derailed by a new quarantined life. And I didn't have a backup plan to accommodate for that change. Suddenly, my daily trip to the gym was replaced with an attempt to get exercise at home, but to just feel like it wasn't sufficient. I didn't have the habits I needed to support this new environment. And frankly, none of us did. But one of the things I've learned as a practice leader of the one thing is to identify when my activities are bringing me further away from my goals because I have a relationship with those goals. I don't just set them and forget them. I check in with them. I ask, how's it going? Based on that, what do I need to do differently? And this is something I have been relentless in, in, in letting go of because my health helps me be a better husband. It helps me be a better father. It helps me be a better leader. The part of my identity that chooses growth was in conflict with my actions that were choosing wine and cookies. Real story. So something had to change and I started on a new health journey that didn't rely on gym, a commute, or even leaving my house. And now I'm back on track because I really got back to the focusing question. What's the one thing I can do? Such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary. Today, you're going to hear from someone who did the exact same thing. It wasn't during COVID, but it was the result of looking around at life and realizing that he was capable of more. He decided to be the type of person who formed habits that brought him closer to his health goals as he exercises them every day. He's a self-proclaimed average person, not exceptional at anything, but he credits habits and routines with allowing him to experience overwhelming success in his life, his business, and most importantly, in his health. Today's episode is part of a new series featuring the One Thing's Best of Habits episodes because we know that habit formation can transform your life. In fact, you are just one habit away from achieving something extraordinary. We're sharing these stories as we get ready to form one new habit together as a community starting July 29th. If you want to join us on the next community-wide 66-day challenge of 2020, join us by visiting theonething.com slash habits. We know the path to getting everything you want starts by getting one thing at a time. And when you choose to form a habit around one thing and you have the support of a community to rally you, everything else becomes easier 
or unnecessary. You can learn more about that at theonething.com slash habits. With that, let's get into this episode with founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory, Tom Bilyeu. I feel really fortunate because I get the opportunity to work with so many amazing people in our community and our customers and get to be a part of their world. And they trust me with being a part of their goals. And more often than not, almost everyone is focused on health. And at the core of that is diet and eating a balanced diet. But eating this kind of diet, it's a huge time commitment and it's easy to get knocked off track. That's why it's so great to have a solution when you don't have the time to do the prepping and the cooking and the cleanup, but you still wanna eat healthy. That's why we partner with Factor, and Factor is chef-created, dietitian approved meals that are ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, there's no prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. The variety of different options and meals that they have is really impressive, but go see for yourself. Head to factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150 to get 50% off. That's code 150 at factormeals.com slash 150 to get 50% off. All right, welcome to our monthly One Thing webinar series. We are so excited to bring you this webinar with Tom Bilyeu today to talk about establishing your healthy habits for your new year. Uh, we're going to engage throughout this training. So if you can hear me, please let us know where you are joining us from in the questions box so we can make sure you hear us, you see us. And um, I'm really curious if health is something that's going to be part of your resolutions for the upcoming year. If so, put yes in the questions box. Uh, real quick, we know that many of you are probably familiar with The One Thing, and we know that there are going to be some of you who are new to the ideas of The One Thing. Uh, my name is Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president of The One Thing. I run the company behind the book, and our mission is really to help people take back control of their time. And when we look at how do you use your time, there's really seven circles that are part of your life. This is from page 114 of the book. Starting at the top, you have your spiritual life, you have your physical health, your personal life, your relationships your job, your business, your finances. These are the seven circles, the seven most important areas of your life. And there's one thing that you can do for each of them such that by doing it would make everything else easier or unnecessary in that area. Today, we are talking about the health circle. And the reason we're gonna talk about healthy habits is because uh, there is a lie when it comes to productivity. And it's the lie that if I can just be disciplined enough that then I can have washboard abs like Tom Bilyeu. If I could just be disciplined enough, then I'd be able to get to the gym consistently. And we know that that's a lie. Discipline alone does not lead to extraordinary results. There's a quote from FM Alexander that we put in the one thing, that's people do not decide their futures. They decide their habits. And their habits decide their futures. Our question for you is when you consider what you want out of life, if we asked you, in fact, do this, close your eyes. Imagine five years from now, looking in the mirror and just being in awe of what you see, feeling so proud of the body that you have maintained. Imagine thinking about your career, 
so fulfilled. Everything is thriving. You look at your bank account and that is a large, meaningful number that allows you to live a big life and make a big impact. What got you there? Was it just working hard, hustling, grinding all day long? Or was it that you got clarity on the habits that if you could just acquire those habits would automatically carry you to that reality? What's amazing about this time of year is that now is the time when we get to take a step back and reflect on where we're going in our lives and ask the question, who's the person I need to become to achieve those types of results? And we would suggest to you that boiling it down to the habits that you need to form is part of the one thing. Here's the challenge. We know based on the research that it takes on average 66 days to form a habit. Now, I know some of you have heard 21 days, 28 days, 30 days. When you look at all the research, at 60 day, 66 days in is that point of automaticity where it requires the minimum amount of effort to continue doing the activity. Our question for you is what is that habit that you'd like to form first? And would you be willing to go on a 66 day challenge to creating your first power habit? A 66-day challenge is when you print out a 66-day challenge calendar. It's a calendar that has 66 days on it. You can go to the onething.com with the number one, click on the free stuff tab and get one, and you start marking it off every single day that you do the activity that you are looking to make a habit. Now, the reason we are here today is because uh, we have somebody very special with us, someone who has achieved extraordinary results in many areas of life, which I'm going to go ahead and send him a little webcam request so that you can see his face as well. Uh, you know, so many of us focus on what it looks like to achieve extraordinary results in our business. We focus on marriage and how many of us struggle with striking that counterbalance between thriving in business and thriving in our marriage and thriving in our health. If so, put yes in the questions box. Well, here today you get to meet Tom Bilyeu. Uh Tom, can you hear me, brother? I can hear you, man. Yes, Tom, for, for people who do not know who you are, um, why don't you tell them a little bit about the companies that you have created that they probably have heard of? Sure. Um, so the one that most people are probably familiar with is Quest Nutrition, uh, and I'm one of the co-founders of that company. There it is. Store my uh, we, provisions, baby. Rightly so. Uh, we took that company from you know not existing to being valued at over a billion dollars in just under five years. Uh, and then since then, I founded a company called Impact Theory, um, which you I'm on the set of one of our shows right now. Um, so yeah, anybody that watches that, uh, the show itself is also called Impact Theory. And it's it literally my theory on how to impact the world at global scale uh, to change belief systems, which I believe at the end of the day are that root cause of whether or not people go on to be successful. Mm, so... Tom, when, when I showed that FM Alexander quote that people don't decide their futures, they decide their habits and their habits decide their futures, you talk about belief systems. What came to your mind? Um, it's really interesting. I consider myself to be uh, basically a, a loose uh, conglomeration of habits and routines. And that really is the thing that's allowed me to have the kind of success that I've had. I'm not naturally gifted at anything. Um, I felt just decidedly average as a kid, and I think most people looked at me uh, as being average. My uh, own mother quietly assumed I was going to fail when I left for college, and 
the way that I've been able to overcome that and the way that I've been able to really structure my life and, and do something with it that's meaningful is by building in habits. So yeah, that, that quote really resonated with me. Amazing, amazing. So you know, before we we went live, Tom and I were going back and forth, and and you know, I've seen his Instagram photos where he's in the gym uh, pressing weights like it's his job, really early in the morning, and you're looking at this physique of a man here with a well-defined jaw structure. And you're probably thinking that he's just got the fast metabolism. You know, he can look at the cookies and the weight just falls off. Is that the case? Yeah, you and I were were joking about that. And it's funny how many people think that. And in my case, nothing could be further from the truth, like aggressively in the opposite direction. I joke with people that I can look at a photo of a cookie and put on weight. And that if you're hanging around me during a cheat day, uh, it's going to be hard to talk because the sound of me getting fatter uh, will be overwhelming. And I'm, I'm actually only sort of kidding. And there are people that have what they call thrifty genes. So my ancestors would have done amazingly well during a famine. Uh, and that just would not have been a problem for anybody in my family. And I, I grew up in a morbidly obese family. I mean, just the the number of people in my family that are obese is is startling to say the least. So um, yeah, that that's been a, a big problem for me and something that I've really had to learn to come to grips with. And I'm married to somebody who admittedly works harder in the gym than me, but has a much easier time getting lean than I do. Um, and and that was like a real thing that used to irritate me when we first got together. Was you know we can eat eat literally the same thing. And my wife is half my size. So imagine she matches me calorie for calorie and doesn't put on weight. So I'm in effect eating half the calories that she's eating and putting on weight when she eats twice the calories I do and doesn't. And that was that used to really bother me. And uh, now I've just accepted that's the truth of the matter. And I can either deal with the world the way that it is or continue to you know wish it were a different way. And finally embracing that I, you know, I'm just genetically from that perspective, I'm not gifted and I have to address it. You mentioned that 10 years ago was when you got really purposeful about getting some habits established around your health. What was happening before you got that clarity that made you look up and say, I need to make a change here? Um, well, so at my heaviest, I got up to 230 pounds, uh, which I walk around now at about 170, 175, depending on the time of year. And, um, so you, you know, that's 60 pound difference, pretty big swing. So I was, the real frustration was internal because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to listen to. There's so much advice out there. I was eating less than I'd ever eaten and I was putting on weight. And and I just thought like, is this really that classic thing of, you know, you hit 25 or whatever, and, uh, your metabolism slows down as everybody's going to tell you. And is that just what's happening to me? Or is there really a way to combat this? Um, and get moving in in the opposite direction. And I found really that the biggest problem was just I didn't understand nutrition and human metabolism. And so for me, gaining an understanding of that, at least at a rudimentary level, was incredibly beneficial. Um, so that I, I always tell people that when it comes to fitness, there's the calculus of it. And when you see somebody on stage competing, they have mastered the calculus of it. But there's also just blunt force trauma. There's like, just don't eat sugar, right? That's deadly simple. Hard to do maybe for most people, but it's deadly simple and it works for everyone. So I take the blunt force, uh, you and me both. I take the blunt force trauma approach to just like really keeping it deadly simple. I don't want to put a lot of time and energy into it. I want to get the biggest bang for my buck. So uh, knowledge has has really been the thing that, that saved me.
I'm curious when when you had to boil down all the things that you studied, what was the simple knowledge that you could share with people who are looking up and saying, I need to make a change? Well, so the the answer to that might be a little different than what you're expecting. And the answer to that is you need to change your identity. Um, so you're, none of the habits and things that you're going to try to implement in your life are going to stick unless they're coherent with your identity. So identity drives behavior. So first and foremost, you've got to address that. You've got to decide what kind of person you are, what kind of person you want to become, and then what are the ways in which that person that you're trying to become would act. And then tell anybody who will listen... I'm the type of person that. So I remember I, I was on a tirade when I first decided I was going to start working out and I was going to get a good physique. Uh, I, I literally told anybody who would listen, and I'm sure people got sick of me saying it, but that put so much pressure on me to actually stick it through. And that that was really the critical thing. But to go back to the blunt force trauma, stop eating sugar, stay away from virtually any carbohydrate that isn't a steamed vegetable. And then, yeah, you, that alone, if you did that, you're going to lose weight 100% for sure. Um, you may find it unpleasant, but you're going to lose weight. There's no question. Yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I don't know that I'd be successful there. But I, I am very interested in what you said about shifting the identity. We, we did a goal-setting retreat in November, and we started off uh, really asking people who was the person that they wanted to become from an identity standpoint. And everybody got really clear uh, who they what what mattered to them from an identity, and then they put together a statement around like like I wrote, I'm the type of person who helps others get what they want first, which has really shifted when I'm showing up in the world every single day. Am I thinking of myself first, or am I helping somebody else first? And that those little tweaks have already started to pay dividends. I hadn't thought about cascading it in the health area. That's yeah, interesting. That's a very effective strategy. Now, for people who are um, here with us live, this is also an opportunity throughout this. As you have questions, please feed them because we want you to drive the conversation just as much as I am. So please go ahead and submit those. I've got Inez over here who's going to be fielding those and she'll she'll scream at me or throw something at me to get my attention. Tom, talk to us about your habits around exercise. What does that look like? So you, you've said it really well. It, it is a habit for me and it has to be because I absolutely hate working out. And that's something that I think surprises people. Um, but the reality is that the, whatever the runner's high is that a lot of people get, I do not get that high. So for me, being in the gym, um, is it's just pain. There's no pleasure in it whatsoever. And the only reason that I do it is it delivers a result that I so desperately want that I, I just have to go to the gym every day. And for me, that's cognitive optimization. So there's been so many studies around um, if you have somebody in their hardest class is, let's say, calculus, then right before calculus, you want to get them doing something where they're elevating their heart rate. They're going to come into that. Uh, with more clarity, they're going to score higher on that. And then just in general, being physically fit, people do better on cognitive tests. So um, that, that's a really big deal. Longevity for me is incredibly important. I also, I don't hate looking good naked. So um, all of these are things <laughs> that, that you know feed into that. But um, so I do it first thing in the morning. I don't want to give myself any reason to get too busy or to have an excuse or to start getting tired. Like literally I wake up no matter what time I wake up. And this is sort of how I've become somewhat famous um, for the how early I work out, but that is literally just a function of two things. One, I go to bed incredibly early, which means that I wake up incredibly early. And then two, the first thing I do when I wake up is go to the gym. So 
if I wake up, let's say at two 30 in the morning, which for me, that would have given me five and a half hours of sleep, which is plenty for me. And I don't set an alarm. So I just wake up when I wake up. But if I woke up at two 30, I'm going to be in the gym by like two 45. So that, that feels like it's a pretty natural rhythm. I think a lot of people get between sort of six and seven hours, but even if I got six hours of sleep, I'm still in the gym by, you know, whatever, three fifteen or so. Um, so Barring a weird night's sleep, which does happen, but barring that, yeah, I'm in the gym really, really early, but that's just because you know I prioritize sleep, I go to bed early, and then the very first thing that I do is hit the gym. And I don't know how much detail you want around this, but um, I, well, I, do I want to go one place real quick because I'm I'm, yeah. I'm I'm putting myself in the listener's mind and going, I'm not the person who gets up at 2, 3, 4 a.m., so they discount what comes after. Folks, look for the model here, not necessarily the specifics. Our question is, whatever that optimum amount of sleep is for you, when you wake up, what do you do? What I heard Tom say is he kind of has a trigger habit. When he wakes up, he gets dressed and goes to gym. Is your trigger habit, wake up, grab phone, and check email? Yeah, I know that's a lot of you. So is there an opportunity to have a more healthy routine in the morning? And something that Tom, you said that I think was really powerful is you don't allow yourself to get too busy so that it would compete with it. How many of you who are here live right now feel like if you just had more free time, you would have the time to go to the gym? If so, put yes in the questions box. I know that I have told myself that story before. Uh-huh, Veronica's like, yes, with all capital three letters. Mm-hmm, yeah. What Tom just said is he prioritizes it. Tom, when you started saying yes to going to the gym, what did you have to say no to? For me, the thing that I that I am saying no to, and this is part of the reason that I resent going to the gym, is learning. So I, I'm a voracious learner. I read an obscene amount. I watch a lot of instructional videos. Um, I just think we live in an in the most extraordinary time in history ever. Like the fact that I don't I don't know if any of you guys have read Ray Dalio's Principles. That, that book has fundamentally changed my approach to building companies. And I was just thinking about that while I was right waiting now. for you to go live. A guy who I've never met, and quite frankly, until Tony Robbins started talking about him, I'd never even heard of Ray Dalio. And he takes the time to write a book telling me you know, how he's built his company. And now I've read it, digested it, and I'm putting it to use in my company. And, and I'm beside myself with gratitude. I, I just can't imagine. And then just take all the YouTube creators. Take this, right? Like you're going out of your way to create this content. Like you said, you're showing up and serving others first. And you're creating content that's actually valuable. And it's just for people to avail themselves. So it's like, I can even feel like as I'm talking about it now, it's like that that is something that whenever I have free time, I give it to that. So the gym is is definitely taking time away from that. I've recently started listening to podcasts while I work out which I had actually, oddly enough, never really thought of. I had tried listening to books and I can't do it. Uh, mm. Books just draw me in too deeply. But a podcast is more or less like having two really smart friends there uh, just talking about something. So that's been a lot easier. And, and I find that it actually lowers my frustration level with the gym by being able to listen to podcasts. So shout out to Sam Harris, who, who has accompanied me on many a workout now. So that's cool. That's cool. I am a, uh, I listen to podcasts as well. I, I try to do the audiobooks, but I also have developed a, a habit around taking notes when I do audible. So if I'm listening, there's, there's a conflict there because suddenly I'm not keeping the heart rate up and I'm, yeah, that's super interesting. 
Claire asks, how do you, how did you figure out what the right amount of sleep is for you? You hear the, oh, get eight hours. And sure, there's plenty of evidence to support seven, eight hours. How do you know what's right for you? Yeah, so there's there is only one way, and that's stop using an alarm. So I haven't used an alarm in about 15 years. So barring like if I've got a 4 a.m. flight or something, I'll set an emergency alarm for that. But so I go to bed at 9 p.m. like it's a religion. I'm just in bed every night at 9 p.m. Period, and I don't set an alarm. I don't schedule things. I never schedule something before like 7 a.m. Um, and I try not to schedule anything before 10 a.m., which means whatever time I wake up. If I wake up, you know, at two, so I have a rule. If I've gotten less than five hours sleep, I will stay in bed and try to fall back asleep, even if it takes hours, because I won't, I'll be suboptimal cognitively for the rest of the day. And so I, I prioritize cognitive optimization. So if that means that I end up being in bed for, let's say, eight hours to get my five, then so be it. Um, I'll happily do that. But that's number one. Go to bed early. Don't use an alarm. Like if you do those two things, and I people are gonna say, and this is like you're saying it to the wrong person, but people are gonna say that they don't have time for that. There's no way. Uh, the number of hours that I work in a given week are are insane. So, and I was doing this back when I ran a technology company. I was doing this back at Quest. We had 1,400 employees doing hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue a year. Like there's, there's literally no excuse. At some point, you just like staying up late. And so you're staying up late, which means you have to set your alarm and you're never willing to break that habit. You don't want to go to bed early. And I get it. Like, do you, right? Do whatever choice you want. But at the end of the day, the only way to make sure that you're getting enough sleep is to sleep until you wake up naturally. I love it. You know, question came in, what's the most productive way to change if your spouse doesn't share the same um, support around around the health? Yeah, this is an interesting question. And my wife and I do a whole show called Relationship Theory. And we're because we founded the company together and she was part of the founding team at Quest, we just sort of naturally come from what do relationships look like when you're both entrepreneurs? And we get asked that a lot, like one of you is growth-minded, the other one's not growth-minded. And here's the honest answer. The, the one thing in a relationship that I would consider hell on earth is to have one person who has a growth mindset and the other who does not. So I'm going to make the base assumption for answering this question that you both have a growth mindset. Now, if you both have a growth mindset, what you're interested in is identifying the truth. So then it becomes, look, what are your goals, right? So we start from our goal and then we work our way backwards. And if our goal is to be cognitively optimized to, you know, in order to actually succeed at whatever it is we're trying to build. So take yours, right? So you want to show up first and, or you want to show up and serve others first. Okay. Well, are you going to be able to do that better or worse if you're fully rested, you're cognitively optimized, like even just longevity, right? We know the less sleep you get, the shorter your life. So even just from that perspective, the number of people more you'd be able to help just by having extra years, it just makes sense for you to get to sleep, be cognitively optimized, energetic, ready to go, inspire other people with your energy. So I think there's rare, rare occasions where somebody would be able to make a case to say, it actually makes more sense to get less sleep. So once we can agree that it makes more sense to get more sleep, then it's just like, what do we do to address that? Now, the really hard question is, how do you do this when you have kids? That's the hard one. Now, with that, I will say there's probably, I don't have kids, full disclosure, so like maybe I'm not the guy to take advice from, but just I'm just going to work the math. Yeah. So 
kids tend to sleep a lot. They just don't sleep in the hours that parents want to sleep. Now that's discounting really, really young infants. But once you get out of sort of year two or three, it sounds like, they start sleeping and they'll sleep like eight to 10 hours. Now, most adults, once they burn through that initial period where they're just so sleep deprived that they might be sleeping 10 hours at a time, once you get to where every night you're getting your normal sleep, I'm going to guess it'll be between seven and nine hours max, which means you're getting anywhere from two to three hours or worst case, one hour where you're awake and your kids are not. You just have to go to bed early. That's what freaks people out. Like this concept of like, I can't go to bed that early. You know, I mean, at that point, you're you're running the math in your life and you're saying it's not as important to me to be cognitively optimized to get that rest and respect. Like if that's really the right decision for you and you've weighed all the options and that's where you settle out, totally get it. Um, yeah. But in this case, it's two people are are not assessing the value of the sleep the same. And that's where the only thing to do is to address the value system clash. And the only way that I know to do that, assuming both people have a growth mindset, is to work backwards from their goal. Yeah, well, you, you nailed it. You're you're making a choice. You're just prioritizing other things. If you're prioritizing Game of Thrones over that hour of sleep, that's a choice you're making, whether it's consciously or unconsciously. Hopefully, this raises your awareness of what your decisions are. Um, Sean Stevenson has a great book called Sleep Smarter. And uh, he talked in there about the golden hours, which the hours of 10 to 2 a.m. is when you actually get your highest quality sleep. So if you think about 80-20 rule, the 20% that's going to get you 80% of the results. If you are asleep from 10 to 2, you are getting your highest quality sleep, which my wife and I read that and went, okay, I guess that means that we are going to have to start going to bed earlier. And How do you stay motivated? You know, that, that to me comes down to, do you know what your goal is? And is your goal something that's exciting? And Tony Robbins has this concept of a compelling future. And I think everybody needs a compelling future. Once you're actually excited about your future, like you're, you're amped up about that. You want to make it come to fruition. It's not somebody telling you that you need to do that. It's legitimately, that is what I want for my life. Like I'm not BSing. I'm not saying it because it's politically correct. I'm not saying it because it's what my family told me I should want. It is actually what I want. And now I've created a world in which my every action is about trying to bring that to fruition. Because that really is my life, I'm motivated, right? It's like, what motivates you to do all the things that you love in your life? It's The question of motivation comes up because people don't enjoy what they're doing. And then the question is, why don't you enjoy what you're doing? And is it a momentary like, oh, okay, this like, I don't enjoy doing my taxes, but I have to in order to keep the business going. So it's like, sure, there are like momentary things that I have to do that I find really just dull and boring, but they're a necessary step in the grander scheme of what I'm trying to accomplish. And I'm so excited and so moved by what I'm trying to bring to fruition, like at a neurochemical level, not like a, an intellectual, you know, vague, I want to help people or I want to save the world. It's like none of that's specific enough to get you amped up. So once you get really specific, you can really see it, taste it, touch it, feel it. You're moving towards it. Every day is about that you're going to have that motivation. If you don't have the motivation, chances are you just haven't created a compelling enough future for yourself and you need to work on that. There's a great way to say it, which is don't worry about leading a horse to water and trying to get them to drink, make them thirsty. So make yourself thirsty, right? Like, what are you thirsty about? Like, what is it that you really get amped up about? Mm, what are you thirsty about? Let's go outside of health. When you look at your days, how you have structured your time, what have been some of your most powerful habits that you have acquired over the years? 
Yeah, morning morning routine is is just critical, and so I'll give you my whole morning routine, and I'll I'll give a special shout out to what I call thinkitating, um, and that'll make more sense in a minute. So thinkitating is like my big win. That's the thing that um, I've really optimized my time around and my routines around. Uh, but we all know I go to bed at nine, so I think your morning routine starts the night before. So I go to bed at nine, I sleep till I wake up. I'm very grateful that that's usually somewhere between say three and four in the morning which gives me just hours and hours and hours before my first employee shows up. They normally get in around 8.30 to 10 o'clock, depending on the person. And so I get many, many hours to, to really prime myself to get things done and then actually get things done all before the first employee. So I work out. I've already talked about that. And then I meditate, which is a big deal. And meditating right after working out allows you to practice going from the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight, which is exactly what you're triggering in yourself when you're working hard in the gym, and then immediately go into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest. So calming your heart rate, slowing your breathing, calming your mind, like, and being able to really do that at will, I think is very, very important. When you meditate, you get into um, an alpha wave state, which is calm and creative. So you're making these unique connections in your brain. So that's why like, as you're falling asleep or as you're waking up or you're standing in a hot shower, you tend to get these really creative ideas. Um, you're passing through a similar calm, creative state. Um, and that allows you to make these really unique connections. So that's super important. Now, once I'm in that state, I want to stay in that state by maintaining my meditative breathing, but I'm no longer going to hold myself to the just breathe method. I'm going to start now allowing myself to think about the biggest problems that I face in my business, but while still in that meditative state. So there I find that um, about 70% of the time, I'm really productive and I really am able to see with fresh eyes that problem. 30% of the time, it's a total waste. My mind's just racing and it's jumping around. And, and for whatever reason, I just it never all came together. Uh, but it, it's close to 70% of the time. I really feel like it's the single most productive thing that I do during the day. From there, then I read. That's just a really, really important thing to me. I believe in a math equation, II equals IO, which stands for ideas in equal ideas out. If you want to have great ideas, you need to take in great ideas. And then the, the human brain is a, synth a synthesization, it's a hard word for me, uh, machine, I right? It's, it's, read a lot. That, that, was, that was rough. Uh, it, it's, it's putting all these ideas together. And I, I just think that that's, that is where people, instead of worrying about whether or not you're having like truly fresh and original ideas, just worry about whether you're making truly fresh and original connections. Because given your genetic makeup, given the time period that you grew up in, given where you grew up, the people you know, the things you've read, like you're going to make different connections than the person next to you. So it's the one way in which I really do believe we are all the unique, beautiful snowflakes that we all want to be is the way that we synthesize data. So that, but you've got to really be feeding your brain a lot of interesting ideas. And then from there, I have a list that I call important things. And it is a list of the most important things that I could be doing to move my business forward. It's not things to think about or contemplate, right? We did that during uh, Thinkitation. This is stuff to take action on. It's the, um, you know, that thing that you want to put off, but know you need to get done. It's doing that. It's writing the thing that you need to send out. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's all the hard things. Do the hard things first, you know, whatever those might be. It's all going to be specific to your business. But doing that, that's all critical. Now, I do all of that before I even eat, first of all. So let's start with that. Um, I never eat before 7 a.m. I try not to eat before 8. So you can imagine if I wake up at 2 in the morning, there are times where I don't eat for 6 hours after waking up. I work out fasted. 
And this is super random, but the reason that I don't eat before seven is that I don't feed my dogs before seven because otherwise then they, they want an extra meal during the day. And, uh, I, I don't let myself eat before I feed them. It's, uh, just, it's a leaders eat last kind of thing. So taking the dogs. <laughs> I was so, expecting yeah. some profound thing about like intermittent fasting or no, no but I just no. don't. I, I do don't. that for myself, but uh, not for my dogs. Okay. So recap, you go to bed at nine, you wake up when you wake up, you exercise after you exercise, you meditate. And after you've gotten yourself to that alpha state, then you think it Tate, where you are then thinking about the biggest challenges or opportunities in your business, allowing the ideas to come to you. Then after that point, you are doing your most, no, 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 then you read, then you do your most important work, then you eat. Correct. But before you eat, you feed your dogs. Correct. That's right. Had to squeeze that in there. I want to clarify something because I'm a little surprised by this. I didn't hear check email in that sequence. Yeah, I'm I am literally a psycho about email. So I don't check email pathologically. Yeah, I'm horrified that people check email. I think that I joke and say, look, it's gonna be the downfall of Western civilization. But what I really mean by that is you're not gonna get done what you could get done. And so I get it. Some people, the the way your business is set up, you can't afford to not check it at all. But A, I would work for five or six hours minimum before I checked my first email. And, and I want people to really be awash in shame every time they check email. And the reason is the following. What you're saying when you check email is that you don't know what you should be doing with your business. And thus, you need someone in your inbox to tell you what you should be doing. So email oh. is nice because you're being reactive, right? You don't have to think for yourself. There's a sense of perpetual motion, right? You click that email, you do what that email tells you to do. Then you go to the next email do what that email tells you to do, so on and so forth. And it gives people this false sense of productivity. But yeah, I'm just telling you, I haven't checked email in, I don't know, seven years, maybe more. So now full disclosure, look, I have a personal assistant. She knows there's like six or seven people to go check and see if they've sent me something and to scan it occasionally for opportunities. And I've missed opportunities because you know they won't see that for, you know let's say five or six days or something. And, and it was like, a, hey, if you move now, then you could be on the show or whatever. Um, and, and I miss those. And I think that that opportunity cost is a fraction of what I would lose if I were the other way and just constantly replying, replying, replying. Like, So I have trained myself. I, I am awash in shame every time I'm looking at email. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly the brain games that are being played on me. Um, so I just I stay way out of that. And I live in my important things list. Yeah, for the people who I'm curious, anybody here in living your one thing? If so, put yes in in the questions box. When people come into, uh, which is our membership community, in the first 30 days, they get handed a system on how they have clarity on what their priorities are. Like you said, your important work, and they develop the habit of acting in order of priority, taking action on that first. And they end up taking back like 20% of their time in the first 30 days. Which, if you guys are interested in that, go to the one thing.com/slash/membership. But uh, this whole idea of email. And we, we, as we've been interacting with them, it's really that fear of missing out. Like you said, Tom, the, the idea that, oh, but I might be missing out on that opportunity. Telling yourself that story that you're missing out on the opportunity when in fact, by being in your inbox, you are absolutely guaranteeing that you are losing out on the opportunity that's within your control. Yeah, no question. 
When you check email, you're saying you don't know what you need to be doing in your business. That's a writer downer. That is fantastic. How do you get clarity on the things that matter most? This is the million dollar question. And I really need to get better at at answering how I got to this because the truth is getting good at that is the very thing that will determine whether you're successful or not. And when I look at it, I am trying to identify the reality of whether the path I'm on is actually moving me towards my goals. So number one, you need to know what your goal is. Your goal needs to be insanely specific. I just cannot emphasize that enough. And I find that that is the number one place people fall down. They have a goal. Let's say I want to win an Olympic gold medal. And they think that's it. It's specific, right? Like how much more specific could you get? Well, let's start with winter or summer. And then, okay, if it's summer, is it swimming? Okay, it's swimming, great. What Ping event in swimming? Is it you know the, the freestyle? Is it the backstroke? And it's like, until you get down to exactly what event in what sport you want to win, that's the only way to begin your training. It's the only way to know what you need to be doing in order to progress. And so mm-hmm. I find in business, people are the same. Like they, they just don't have clarity or they have clarity on their path and not their mission, their real goal, right? So I want to build an app. Okay, well, but what's your app meant to do? Because maybe an app isn't the way to do what you actually want to do, that thing you really care about, going back to that compelling future. Like, does your compelling future require an app? Or do you just think you want to be rich and making apps is the way to get rich, right? So you have that real clarity on your goal, you know exactly what it is. Then you have to get good at working your way backward all the way to where you are. So what's the gap between where you are now and where you want to be? And then how do you execute against that in very, very discrete, executable steps? And then is there also a skill set gap of meaning like, okay, I can execute on these first five steps. Like I already know how to do that, but there's this huge gap here where I know nothing about that. And so I'm going to have to cross the skill set gap as well as the execution gap. And so starting now to gain those skills so that by the time that you get there, you're able to do it or to partner with somebody that already has those skills. So That's the money, right? The money is, can you figure out what you actually need to do in order to get there? So modeling is a huge way to do that. So find somebody that's already done what you want to do or something close to it and model yourself after what they did. And at least then you've got the skeletal framework. It may not be the only thing you do, or you may have to learn and diverge and realize, okay, that didn't work for your company, but it got you started. It got you moving. You got the momentum so that you could make the mistakes and realize in real time what you actually need to be doing. But make no mistake, man. Figuring that path out, the path to execution and the skill set gap, like that, that is the thing that separates the successful from the tried but didn't make it. You said something that that I the underlying message, you, you're looking where you need to go and you're and you're trying to figure out what do you need to learn to go there. And this whole idea of being an infinite learner, being the type of person who has clarity on one, where they want to go and acknowledges the fact that they need to become a different person. Right. And we're hearing you say you just have this thirst for knowledge, your learning time. That's the thing you have to say no to. For the people who are listening to this, how many of you wake up with an incredible thirst for knowledge every single day? How many of you are looking at your goals and are willing to reinvent the person that you are to achieve those goals? And Tom mentioned um, if you could find a model to follow so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel, I would like to introduce you to a model on managing your time. You may, I've heard this book is really good. It's about two things. Uh, You may want to check it out. The answer is right in front of you. And while we know so many of you have read it, how many of you are on a road to mastering it? How many of you study it? 
when you read a chapter, you ask, how can I implement it and go on a road to improving every single day? This is what it takes for extraordinary results, folks. It's what it takes. What's a good question that we can ask Tom from, from the group? Yeah, where's your gym, Tom? It's in my house. It is in your house? Yeah. Okay. All right. So one of those ribbons that hangs from the ceiling that you climb up and do the... No, that sounds amazing. No, I'm a, I'm a meat <laughs> potato. I've got a bunch of heavy things and uh, I move them around. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, standard bodybuilder people stuff. People have heard me talk about the Jim Rohn quote that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. When you look at the people you allow in your life, are you just allowing people in by circumstance or are you choosing people intentionally? Oh, for sure, intentionally. I mean, first of all, my entire life revolves around my business. So um, that just already means that I'm going to spend the majority of time around A, my wife, who's my uh, co-founder in the business, and then B, the, the team that we've built here, which is just incredible people that inspire me and are amazing at their jobs. Um, and then socially, while admittedly, I don't have the grandest uh, social life by design. You're an introvert, um, right? I am introverted. I'm not socially awkward or anything. Like I'm all about going out. It's just that the the truth is my wife and I have created such um, a cool little bubble of existence for ourselves. And yeah, that when when the weekend comes, man, and we're going to take downtime, like, I just want to spend it with her. So it's uh, dragging me out of the house is hard. She's probably a little easier to get out of the house. But uh, for me, I just want to chill with her and spend time with her and read and play video games, oddly enough. That is something that I really, really enjoy. Um, watch movies. Yeah, just, just way into that stuff. So, But my thankfully, the business puts me in contact with incredible people that have become very dear friends. Um, I don't know if any of your followers know Jim Quick. Uh, but he was just the guy that I, I interviewed and uh, we hit it off and he's become just an incredibly close friend of mine. His memory uh, stuff is awesome. It's crazy. It's crazy. And he is the sweetest human being on the face of the planet. He's such a good dude. So that's one thing like I, I try to work into the businesses, you know, are there people that I would enjoy doing business with. So we've actually partnered with an agency, a Hollywood agency to help us really leapfrog a lot of the otherwise sort of brick by brick growing that we would have to do. And uh, one of the partners in that company is just just a dear friend, an amazing human being, someone that I've been doing business with now for a long time. And it's just a question of, he's a guy that I want to be around. So even if he happened to be at one of the like worst agencies in Hollywood, which he's not, he's one of the best. But even if it was one of the worst, like I just want to be doing business with him because in doing business, I get to be around him. So if you're really careful to structure your life like that and accept that like this isn't a, you know, do whatever it takes to get rich. It's like, I want to do business with people that I enjoy. The struggle is guaranteed. The success is not. So I want to be around people that do business the way that I do business that are fun as hell to be around that make me a better person. So yeah, that's a long way of saying I'm hyper-intentional about the people nice. I spend time Nice. Claire asked a great question. Um, how quickly should you change your diet? You know, We talk about um, success is sequential. It's not simultaneous. We know what happens when people try to develop five habits at the same time. They try to chase a million rabbits. They catch none. We really advocate chasing one, yet you start talking about making all these changes. And she's saying, well, if it takes on average 66 days to form each habit, it'll take forever to get healthy. What's the happy balance there? 
Well, so here's where you can discount me as soon as we're off the call. I, I think that there is a lot of BS to that. I think getting something, you used the perfect word and you said when it, this is a variation of the word, but you said once it's automated, right? Once it's happening automatically, like that's, that may take 66 days. But the truth is you could decide right now, I'm the type of person that. And for instance, I'll give you one that I use every day. And I'm even I'm surprised how without this routine, even this deep into my life, I, if, if it weren't for this bright line, which is that I get out of bed in 10 minutes or less, if I've gotten five hours of sleep or more. So once I realize I'm awake, I look at the clock, has it been more than five hours? Yes. Boom. I've got 10 minutes or less to get out of bed. And I never want to get out of bed. I would still be laying in bed from like going to sleep six years ago if I could. Like that's how much, dude, I'm telling you. And to hear that Marcus Aurelius struggled with this as well, the famous Stoic philosopher and emperor of Rome. And I thought, wow, like the fact that this guy had trouble getting out of bed, I don't feel so bad anymore. Uh, but I really struggle with that every single day. And so because of that bright line that says, look, you've got 10 minutes less, just period. To be the person that you want to be, because you've said so many times you're the type of person that gets out of bed in 10 minutes or less, like get up. And it literally is that sense of identity of wanting to be congruent with what I say that I know when I come on a show like this, that I'll be asked the question that essentially is tied to my identity. And you wouldn't know. I could be lying to you, right? I could lay in bed for an hour every day. You'd never know, but I would know. And so I want that feeling of positivity, of power, of knowing, fuck, I really hold myself to that. Like I actually, even though I don't want to, I actually get out of bed every day in 10 minutes or less. So that to me, like you can make a change like that. And it may not happen automatically. You may have to fight it every day. But if yeah. it's a part of your identity, you get this reward. Like imagine if you felt like a stud Every day, just for getting out of bed in 10 minutes. I do. I'm like, I'm the man. I can't believe I did this. Like, for some, my wife, for instance, my, she wouldn't want to lay in bed. Like, that's crazy to her. Once she's awake, she's like already chipper. She's ready to go. I'm not that guy, man. I wake up so slow. So this is like, for me, it's like a victory every day. I'm super stoked on myself because I know how to self-congratulate. And so merely for getting out of bed, I'm like high on myself. I'm like, man, you're killing it today. You got out of bed less than 10 minutes. You're the man. You said you would do it. You did it. So you know it, it comes down to that. And look, I don't think people hold themselves to a high enough standard. I think people accept a lot of BS weakness. I think people accept that it takes you know, 66 days instead of saying like, look, I, this is what I need to do to move forward. So I'm going to do it. Like If somebody told me, hey, this is the morning routine that worked for me, and it included meditation, thinkitation, reading, important things. like I'm not going to do one of those. I'm going to do all of those. And I'm just going to go at it hard. And that's always been my personality. And that doesn't mean everything works. A lot of it fails. And when I first started meditating, I was terrible at it. And I felt like I was out of breath all the time. I was like, what the hell is going wrong? So, and you, you know, you feel it out, you get better, you get better, you get better. But you know, you were saying at the top of the show, that discipline isn't enough. And I'll agree with that. But discipline is, is straight magic. And yeah. until you develop your discipline, until it's like, like I'm really careful what I promise myself I'm going to do. I'm really careful. Like I'm super stingy about that. But once I say I'm going to do this, then there's just no option. I don't back down. Yeah. Well, and let, Claire, let me clarify a few things here. It's the, the focusing question is what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it makes 
everything else easier or unnecessary. I happen to know that if I go to the gym, I will eat better. I don't need to form a power habit in both. If I develop the habit of going to the gym consistently, the diet takes care of itself. It's easier or unnecessary. So my question for you is when you look at all the things that you could do to transform your health, what's the one thing that makes it all easier or unnecessary? It's just that lead domino that knocks the rest down. So that's that's the idea here. And you know, we've I remember Jay had a conversation with Hal Elrod about the the miracle morning and you know, doing all of the savers. The biggest challenge we see with people, whether they're in time blocking mastery or living your one thing, is they simply set the bar for success too high. You know, Tom, you're the type, you are the type of person you said that when you mentally commit to something, it is done. That's who you are. And you're the type of person who can say, I'm going to do the whole shebang and it will become a habit. Your journey to living your one thing, folks, is about you and no one else. What will work for you? Are you like Tom where you can commit to the whole thing and it's as good as done? Awesome. And would you be willing to give yourself permission to lower the bar should you find that you're not consistent? That's the key there. Tom, before we wrap, we like to get people into action. We've talked about a lot of things. If you had to suggest one thing that they can do, such that by doing it would make establishing healthy habits in the new year easier or unnecessary, what would it be? Well, I'll give you one esoteric and then and then we'll get super specific. So one esoteric is going to be to learn to leverage identity to drive your behavior. So learn that trick. I'm the type of person that and then go tell everybody and remind yourself. Um, that's just an incredibly powerful tool that I use on, on a daily basis. Like, so I'm not changing my identity that rapidly, but it's, I mean, a couple times a week for sure. So that's that's really useful. And then tactically... Although it sounds like you've already talked a lot about this, but tactically, you need to have a roadmap. Like you need to write it down. It needs to start with a big ass goal, like the thing that you actually care about, the thing that actually lights you on fire. And then write it down, write it down, like all the way back to where you are, every step of the way. What are you going to have to do? And there might be 30 points on that map. There might be 130 points on that map, but map it out so that you know exactly what it's going to take to get there. So you know what the plan is, because once you know what the plan is, you can actually execute against it. Interesting. So you're almost saying, or what I'm hearing you say is to go way out into the future to someday to ask what you really want, and then to set your goals to the now so you know what you need to do to achieve your someday goal. Is that right? 100%. Folks, is there a book that talks about this? This one looks interesting. Follow the model, follow the path, people. Uh, Tom, where can people learn more about you? At Tom Billu, everywhere. YouTube, forward slash Tom Billu. Instagram, Facebook, all of it, at Tom Billu. B-I-L-Y-E-U. That's the one. Dude, I had to Google it so many times. Like, U-E-E-U. I know, it's a nightmare. Tom, thank you so much for the time, my friend. Thanks for having me, man. It's awesome to be here. Well, there you have it, our conversation with Tom Bilyeu. We hope that after listening to his story, you're asking yourself, who's the person I want to become? What are the habits I can form so that I emerge from this year even stronger than before? We're here to help you answer these questions. In fact, when you join us and go on a 66-day challenge to form one powerful habit, we provide you opportunities to meet with our practice leaders in our community to help you narrow your focus to one habit you could form that truly would make everything else easier or unnecessary. We're here to provide accountability, 
encouragement, and to ask you questions that'll make you stretch for an answer. To learn more about this habit journey and how you can join us, visit theonething.com slash habits. That's with the number one in the URL, theonething.com slash habits. And make sure you do it before July 29th, because on July 29th, two things happen. First, our entire community is joining forces and starting their day one of the challenge together. So you'll be locking arms with a force of extraordinary people by your side. The second thing that's happening is that between now and July 29th, you can join us for the full 66 days for free. If you wait till after July 29th, it will drop back to a 14-day trial. So don't miss the opportunity to join us for an entire duration of a challenge and get access to all the additional resources our members get for free by visiting theonething.com slash habits. If this episode has brought value to you, who's somebody you know or care about that you think would benefit from listening to it? Would you share it with them? And also, while you're at it, please consider leaving us a rating and review on your podcast player of choice. It genuinely helps us reach more people and make an even bigger impact. We really appreciate you investing your time with us and we look forward to the next episode where we continue our Best of Habits series. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.